This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our first podcast show of Sci-Fi Verse Productions, coming to you from the science fiction studios in the magic city of Birmingham. Hi, I'm your host, Dave Bice, and it's going to be an incredible show. We are so excited about the guest that's going to join us here in just a moment. Why, you may be asking? Because if you, like myself, are a huge fan of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you won't want to miss this show because we have one of their animators worked right alongside and met some of those great legends. And with a life of nearly 40 years in the animation industry, that is, of course, not all he's done. And we are going to learn all about the incredible adventures of this man, Tom Cook, in just a moment when we return because I will, by then, have the refill on my cup of coffee. This is Partnership for the Arts podcast. Come join us as we explore the art worlds of science fiction. You can find us on our Facebook page at Sci-Fi Verse Group Podcast. Or you can find us on our website at pftatalkshow.org. Science Fiction Studios is recorded in the magic city of Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And as promised... We have Tom Cook here on the show with us via the web. Tom, you're in California. We're in Birmingham. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Well, my pleasure. It's uh, always fun to talk about the stuff that we love. And uh, mm-hmm. I love this just as much as you do. So yes. It's great you mentioned that, Tom, because it was for that reason, that fact of animation and Comic-Cons is actually how we uh, were introduced to each other. We, yeah, we actually yeah. met in St. Louis, which we've both been there, but uh, we just never had a chance to catch up before uh, before this one. Good. Yeah, I've done uh, St. Louis a number of times. So Okay, where have you been since then? I was in Arkansas a couple of weeks ago. Okay. All right. So you've got a chance to do a couple more cons since, since we talked. Tom, if you don't mind, would like to uh, do and ask you a couple of questions. Through, sure, uh, absolutely. Start with a little background. You're in California. Were you born there? No, I was born on Long Island, New York. Okay. Well, that begs the question. How does one go from Long Island, New York to California? My father was an airline pilot for TWA, and he got tired of flying into the snow in the wintertime. Right. So he finally got tired of that and moved us to L.A. Okay, well, of course, you had no idea where that move was going to lead you. Were you excited about that at the time? No, I really kind of didn't like the fact that I was moving since I lived in the same house my whole life, and all of a sudden I was going to be the new kid. Mm. But uh, once I got there and met some friends, and it was a pretty nice place when I lived there. Uh, It was pretty nice. Uh, I wouldn't live there now. Sorry to anybody who lives in L.A., but it's just just not very good anymore. And, uh, of course, if he didn't move us there, I never would have gotten the business. So there you go. Meant to be. Uh, 
Did you already have the love for uh, for animation and cartoons at the time? You know, my, I've always, ever since I was a little kid, I loved cartoons. You know, I was a big fan of early show called Crusader Rabbit. And it's like one of the first cartoons that was ever on Saturday morning. And I really liked that as a kid. Then Beanie and Cecil came out. And of course, Huckleberry Hound and Yogi mm-hmm. Bear and Quick Drama, all those great Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And then in, uh, I think it was 61, the Flintstones came out. And now we had like a sitcom in primetime that was a cartoon. So I I was a big comic book fan. So I had a pretty good collection of comic books, uh, not because I was collecting them, but I just loved the artwork. And and that's kind of where I learned to draw was by looking at uh, my favorite was Spider-Man. So I would I would look at one of Spider-Man's, one of Steve Ditko's Spider-Man comics and then kind of look at a good pose and then draw it over here, you know, and try to get it as good as I could. And then eventually you start saying, okay, now I want to do my own posing. So you draw your own pose and usually it was terrible to begin with, but you you slowly learn. And uh, so that's kind of how I got started drawing. How old were you then, Tom? You know, eight, eight, nine years old, something like that is about the time that Marvel came out. and. Uh, so that's what got me started to draw. I had never thought that I would ever uh, get into the business because I really didn't know anything about how cartoons were made or anything like that. And uh, okay. I, I ended up being a bus driver in Los Angeles and my route took me right by Hanna-Barbera every day. Okay. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, I would just love to you know, be able to tour that place. And next thing you know, I was working there. Okay, Tom, <laughs> you you got to tell us, going from being a bus driver, driving by Hanna-Barbera to actually working there, what happened? Yeah, it happened that fast. I mean, it was, like I said, I was I was a bus driver, Yeah. and uh, it was my, my day off, and I went out to the mailbox at my apartment and got, it was just a bunch of junk mail that came, and there was a little pamphlet it was in with the junk mail, but it doesn't matter. I just threw it on the kitchen table and went over and made a sandwich and sat down to eat my sandwich. And I looked over this pamphlet and I said, well, I'll just kind of thumb through this while I'm eating, you know, give me something to do. And it was all of the classes that were going to hold at the local college in the summertime. And about the third page, I see this comic book class. So I'm interested in that because I love comics, right? right? So It's a class that we're going to make our own characters. We're going to do a whole comic book during the the summer in this class. So I signed up for it. So I had no, I wasn't going to be going to college. You know, I, I worked full time. I didn't really want to college, but this was interesting enough that I, I could do it. Right. And it was like in the evening. So I could work my regular bus driver job and still make it to the classes in the evening. So we brought in our portfolios and mine was all of superheroes, you know, Superman and Batman and uh, Spider-Man and Dr. Doom and, and all that. And the teacher coincidentally worked at Hanna-Barbera as a storyboard artist. Oh, okay. (laughs) There we go. So when he saw my superheroes, he called me up to the front at the end. Everybody's leaving. And he said, Hey Tom, can I talk to you? So I said, yeah. So we started talking. He said, well, I work at Hanna-Barbera and we're doing a show called Challenge of the Super Friends. And we have a lot of animators that are really good at Fred and Barney and Scooby-Doo, but they can't really draw a human figure really good. I really like your superhero work. 
could I recommend you to a class that they hold at Hanna-Barbera to learn basic animation skills? And sometimes they'll hire you out of the class. Wow. So I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe this, right? And so, I mean, if I had thrown this pamphlet away, right, that would have been it. That would have I been never it. would have taken the class. So I took the class and it was held at Hanna-Barbera. So I got to go into the building that I wanted to go into so badly. Wow. And three weeks later, there were probably about 25 or 30 people in the class. And three weeks later, they hired four of us out of the class. And I was one of the four. How, so how I did literally, you feel then? <laughs> well, I went from, you know, from bus driver to animator in three weeks, having no knowledge. I mean, I had done one in between in the class. It was terrible. I didn't know anything about it, you know, and he said, we don't care because you're going to learn. You're going to be an assistant animator. You'll work with an animator and he will show you the ropes. And that way you'll pick up what you need to pick up. And we were more concerned with the fact that you could draw well. And that's what you need. You need the skill to draw well. So, you know, about two or three weeks into it, uh, he finally said, you know, you're picking this up really well. So. I finally quit my bus driver job and uh, that was how I got started. Wow. Crazy. Right. Yeah. That's just pretty crazy, but obviously it was meant to be. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I tell people my whole life I've had, I've had things that have happened that I wasn't even looking for a job and I ended up getting a job. Right. You know, a similar thing happened at Microsoft when I moved up to Seattle. Um, a friend of mine got a job. And he couldn't take it, so he recommended me. And it was only supposed to be part-time. But the woman that interviewed me liked one of my drawings that was in my portfolio. She said, can I Xerox this and put it up on my bulletin board? So she did that. And two weeks later, somebody came into her office and said, who did this? Because we need somebody that could draw like this. So I ended up, instead of part-time, I ended up being a full-time employee at Microsoft. Yeah, never even applied for the job. There you go. When did that happen? That was in uh, 95, because Windows 95 just came out. You know, we had the big party and the the big thing with Jay Leno that came up, and, mm -hmm. and they did a whole thing to uh, promote Windows 95 when it first came out. Yeah. And so that's when I first started at Microsoft. Uh, that's interesting. An, an artist at Microsoft, what did you do? Animation? I did a lot of animation. In, uh, they had just bought a, a computer software called Soft Image which was the first 3D software in a computer where you could animate. You know, they kind of said, um, you know, we, we've bought this program, but we don't really have any animators. And I go, <laughs> animator. I'm an animator. <laughs> so, so I ended up, they sent me to LA for three, three weeks to learn this program. And I was really one of the first animators that ever really touched a 3D program like that. Interesting. So was this like the beginning of the gaming animation, like the early stages, the prelude to it? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So what was what was your involvement there? Well, at first I was working in the research department helping because remember back in those days, a computer just was so slow. Right. And if, if you had video games, if you had something with a lot of polygons in it, it would... It would chug because it can't turn that many polygons like today. I mean, it could be really detailed and it'll turn it. Right. So the thing would chug 
And so they were trying to come up with ways to make it so it wouldn't do that. So I would put the animation in it so they could see if things could be moving because the backgrounds were bad enough. But then you add, you know, a human being walking. Now it's really struggling to keep up. So I was doing stuff so that they could put it in the computer and figure out ways around it so to make it work better. And then eventually when they, when they uh, stopped working with that, I moved over to the video game department and I would uh, go to different cities in the U.S. where Microsoft had hired the little company to do their video games. So I went in to teach them how to animate in a computer because the kids knew how to animate or how to use the computer, but they really knew nothing about animation. So I went in to kind of help them, you know, see how, how to do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And unfortunately, my boss got fired, and they decided to dissolve our little group. Mm. So that's how I got I got laid off at that bit. I mean, it was fine. I really enjoyed it, and it was really lucrative. And we got Microsoft stock options, and that's that's at the point where the stock was like splitting every six months. Oh yeah, sweet. Yeah, so it was just yeah. So I had fifteen hundred stock options. The next thing I know, I had three thousand. Then you got 6,000. So, I mean, it just kept building. Right. It's always nice when they split. Tom, we're going to be going to a break here in just a minute. Sure. And we kind of skip from Hanna-Barbera to Microsoft. So, if it's okay with you, when we come back, I'd like to go back and revisit that. Sounds good. And so, we'll go We'll go back to 78 when I first got the job. So, let's do the Scooby-Doo wipe. You know, and we'll go back. <laughs> Tom, you hold on. And listeners, we'll be back in just a moment. Sounds good. Hi, this is Rich Perez, partner and co-creator of Tango Comics, and I listen to the Sci-Fi-Verse. Okay, we are back, and we are talking with animator Tom Cook that worked for Hanna-Barbera, that also worked at Microsoft, and a few other really cool places in between those two times. And we're going to cover that here in our second part of our interview. So, Tom, as we mentioned before the break, we wanted to kind of go back to that time. Sounds good. As you as you uh, made the <laughs> sound effects for the, what did you say, Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo wipe. I <laughs> love it. Okay, so covered how you got the job and <laughs> quickly went from bus driver into Hanna-Barbera working by simply not throwing mail away. So, Tom, how about we kind of just talk about your time there at Hanna-Barbera, where you started, what you ended up working on? Sure, sure. Yeah, I am. Um... Well, after they hired me, they really didn't have much room at the studio left because they were so busy that all the desks were taken. So they actually rented a uh, airplane hangar at Burbank Airport. And for the first three months, they just set desks up. There were six of us. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth on a lot of the stuff. They were building another building at Hanna-Barbera next door to the main building. And it was supposed to be a warehouse, but they decided to make it into part of the studio because they just had so many employees. So uh, I eventually moved into that building. And that's when we were doing um, 
like Super Friends, Scooby-Doo, uh, something called the Shmoo, uh, which is a character from um, Little Abner. Uh, there was a thing called the Thing, which was like the thing from Fantastic Four, but it really wasn't Ben Grimm. It was just a kid that found a ring. And when he said, you know, thing ring, do your thing, he'd turn into the thing. But and then I did the Godzilla show, too. So we did quite a few different things all at the same time, because, like I said, they were so busy. They really had a lot of stuff going. Um, and then uh, what happens in this business is because the networks are in control of what TV shows hit the air. Mm-hmm. So we come to the end of the season, which is like maybe September. We finish and then they can air the first episode in September. So we're done. So we're laid off for a few months until they figure out what shows they're going to renew and what new shows they want. So we're off for like December, January, and around February, uh, it it becomes two-week syndrome, I called it, because you'd call up and say, do you have any work yet? And they'd say, call us in two weeks. Oh, boy. And hopefully that wouldn't go on too long. But eventually... The networks would pick whatever shows they want, and then you get hired back. But Ruby Spears got some shows before Hanna-Barbera did. So I applied at Ruby Spears, and so they hired me there. And it, okay. wasn't, like, it wasn't like I left Hanna-Barbera because I didn't like it. They just didn't have work first, and I needed money. Right. So, And that's when I went over. Yeah, I went over and worked on Heathcliff the Cat, Thundar the Barbarian, right? Uh, Mighty Man, and uh, what else? Uh, oh, Plastic Man. Now, Tom, give me a second here because I, I want to sure. say something to, to the listeners here. I just did a quick search on Ruby Spears because I, I knew I recognized the name, but I looked at this and it was founded in 77 and it was the veteran writers of Scooby-Doo that uh, that started it the uh, the creators joe ruby and ken spear so that's pretty cool okay so tom how about we talk about the animation of those days and those times because it, it wasn't cg generated back then uh so how was it done well back then it was like every single drawing had to be hand drawn and the animator would basically do the key frames of the action he's the animator is in charge of what the character is going to move like okay you know he's basically an actor he's making like skeletor if he goes balls you know he makes sure that he, he shakes his fists right and all that sort of stuff as an assistant when i first started i would take his his drawings and clean them up really nice beautiful black line on a black pencil and make sure that everything was the right size so that his head wasn't getting bigger and smaller as the scene went on. And then I would do the in-betweens. So like if his hand was here and his other hand is here, the one in the middle would be here. Okay. So I would do that one in the middle. And then that would make it so that it would close. Um, Then eventually in 1981, I, I became an animator myself because I had been doing a lot of work on my own at home so I could come in and show the directors and hopefully get hired as an animator. So uh, it was a little bit easier to be an assistant because they were the ones that really had the talent of acting and everything. Mm -hmm. And I could just do the in-betweens, which were kind of mechanical. Right. But once I became an animator, all of a sudden I'm the one that has to, I've got the blank page 
and I've got to figure out what the guy's going to do. You've got the soundtrack on a cassette so I can hear the, what the character's saying and how they're saying it. And that way, and I always use lookout. If it says lookout in your, in your pamphlet there, you don't know what it is. Is it lookout or is it lookout? You know, I mean, it makes a big difference to whether you animate the big point or whatever. Right, right. And, uh, so that's what we did is listen to the soundtrack for whatever scenes we did and, you know, incorporate that into what the acting that we did. Okay, so wow, you had the soundtrack, the script, and then I guess the storyboard too, to take that and you had to create all that from those. Yeah, and they helped us in the fact that, you know, we had such a quick schedule mm -hmm. that you had a storyboard guy who did it mm -hmm. really small, kind right. of just showing what the scene's going to be like. Right. Then you had a layout guy that drew it this big and that had the background that had the characters about the right size and with a suggested pose. Uh, so sometimes if the pose was good enough, you would just use the first pose and then come up with your own uh, for the rest of the scene. But sometimes the pose wasn't drawn really well or it was off model. And so I would just draw my own. Um, but if you could, you would use whatever is done for you because it just saves time. Right, especially with the tight production schedules you guys all had at that time. Exactly. Out, exactly. Right? Especially, especially on He-Man, we had to do uh, 65 episodes in 52 weeks. Wow. So that's more than an episode a week. Wow, that's insane. And it's 12 drawings per second. <laughs> 12 drawings per second? Yeah. And it's something like it's something like 15,000 drawings for an episode. And that's just of the one character. If you've got two characters, if it's a Smurf and you've got eight characters. Right. Each one's going to be in a separate cell, probably. And uh, so that's just going to be even even more. Right. And that's why the character would would like walk in and stop and just talk. Because you could reuse that same picture of him standing there and just change the mouths or have gotcha. him blink and that saved a lot of time and money so uh, yeah so it was it was real tricky you know and this was all worked out by the storyboard and the layout mm -hmm. try to make it as as seamless as possible when it gets to us so that we're not overwhelmed with just scenes that are so complicated that we can't possibly get them done in a week right right i'm, I'm still sitting here just doing the math <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> on all yeah, of I that, think, I think it came out to something like 720 drawings per minute. Right. If it's 12 drawings per second, that's 720 drawings per minute. So that's uh, what a 20 minute cartoon. So that's 14, 14,400 drawing. Right. Okay. So Tom, I I got a question for you as an animator. You didn't do all the detailed work as the assistant did. So how many drawings does an animator uh, create? You had, a, you had a quota of 80 feet worth of film. A foot of film is 16 frames. Okay. So 80 feet, 80 times 16 frames, and it's really eight drawings out of those 16 frames. So it would be eight times 80, which is what, 640. So we'd have to have 640 drawings, but I didn't have to draw every one of them because I just did the keys. I did number one, number six, number 12. It kind of shows the motion. And then the assistant followed up and did number two, three, four, five, mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, 
So I had to do the 16 feet, but it wasn't eight drawings. It was maybe three drawings, you know, so the, the 80 feet at 16 frames was still three drawings. So now you're only talking 160 drawings. So it wasn't quite as bad. And then you break that times five, down, down by five. It's maybe 30 a day. Right. But we were working really rough. We didn't have to do the cleanup perfect drawings. It was just kind of scribbles and just made sure it moved really well. And then it was the assistant's job to clean it up and really make it look nice. Yeah. Well, that's just amazing, Tom. You know, for the fact that you, anyone that, that, that loves animation uh, gets the inside steps like that. It's, it's just amazing, you know, because of what you had to work with then compared to now. And then yeah. it just makes us appreciate you so much more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is it, it was, it was a lot of work. But gosh, I mean, it, it, it was fun. I mean, you know, it was the long hours sometimes because if you didn't get your 80 feet done, you have to come out on Saturday or stay late every night to get it done. Right. You could, you could get away with turning in 70 every now and then if you had some really difficult scenes. Mm -hmm. The director would look at it and said, oh, well, gosh, you worked your butt off, you know, even though you didn't get 80. But right. some people, you know, they wouldn't get 80 and the stuff they did was so easy that it, they would question you know what are you doing all day long you know that's so and but really you know quite honestly some days you come into work and you just don't feel like drawing i mean you're so burnt out from drawing all the time mm -hmm. uh and you've got to you know take that day to rest a little bit and know that the next couple of days you're gonna have to really knuckle down and get stuff done and but it you know when you really loved it right. it wasn't a chore but i i mean i worked with some people that they could draw really well, but they really weren't into cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a pain in the neck for them. You know, they would rather be oil painting somewhere, but you couldn't make any money. Right. Just oil painting unless you were like incredible. So this was easy money, you know, to, for somebody to not have to work so hard oil painting too. So, um, so there were some of those that just like, you know, gosh, they couldn't wait to get out of the, the building, you know. Okay, so Tom, I'm looking at the time here, and we're, we're uh, running out. But I wanted to ask you a couple more questions here. Sure, sure. How about some of your favorite moments of, of working in the career of animation, and some of the people you got to work with? Ever sure. get a chance to meet Hanna Barbera? Oh, oh, yeah. In fact, in fact, when I first took my portfolio to the to the studio for them to put me in the class, mm -hmm. uh, the guy that looked at the portfolio got on the phone. And all of a sudden, Joe Barbera walks in. Oh man! And, and Harry Harry Love is the guy's name. He said, "Look at look at this stuff." And he said, "Man, we would hire you right now, but we have no room for you, so we're going to put you in the class." And then it took three weeks before they finally, you know, got that Burbank uh, Burbank uh, air, aircraft hangar. Wow! But but yeah, I mean, I I got to meet Tex Avery. Oh, you know, one of the all time great directors at at warner brothers mm -hmm. uh bob clampett who is the like the creator of bugs bunny yeah. and mm -hmm. did all those great daffy duck cartoons chuck jones who did uh, roadrunner oh wonderful wow. and i ended up working on a movie that chuck jones did uh later on in the in the late 80s and uh that was really cool to finally you know get to work with his style and everything um a lot of the artists that worked on snow white and stuff they were still there i mean really old but they were still there at hanna-barbera they were all friends yeah and uh 
So that was the cool part. I got to meet Mel Blanc. Oh, wow. And he was the voice of Barney Rubble. Right. And when I worked there, the, the girl that sat next to me knew that there were recordings. So she took me downstairs into the recording booth. And there was the whole Flintstones group doing their voice tracks. Wow. And afterwards, I got to meet Mel Blanc, who, of course, was my huge, you know, he's the biggie. <laughs> so those are the really biggest people that I met in, in the business. And it was just, uh, like I said, having just fallen into it, it's like I just couldn't pinch myself enough. You know, it was like I could have been still driving a bus. And here I am in this industry that later on, I mean, who knew that 40 years later, because this is 40 years this year. Mm-hmm. since we started on He-Man. Wow. You know, it didn't hit the airwaves till 83, That's but true. 82 is when we started doing it. Yeah. And uh, so it's been 40 years, and here I am going out doing Comic-Cons, you know, every other weekend practically, and they're flying me all over the place to come to these things. Yeah. I've been to Dubai, I've been to Ecuador, Mexico City, wow. and they all pay for my airfare and everything to get me there. So it's really been kind of fun traveling around. And I, I always say that the reason I can really understand why people want to meet me, because otherwise, why would anybody want to meet me? I'm just a stupid joke. You know? But I understand because if I had a chance back in the 60s or 70s to meet the animators of the Flintstones, I would have flipped out as a kid. You yeah. know? So I understand the excitement and the reverence that you have. It's just so weird to be on the side of on the other side of the table. I got to say, Tom, you you wear it well. You really do. You were very gracious to us when we came and crowded your table and talked with you that day uh, for an extended amount of time. And of course, all the autographs that we got you to sign for us. So with a fan uh, such as as myself, I'll just have to say it's a big deal to us when you take time to do that. I want to be the guy that I want to meet. You know, I don't want to meet some guy that's going to be brash and and just difficult. Uh, So I want to be that guy that really, whatever you want for those moments that we're at the con together, you've got the floor. Ask whatever questions you want and I'll answer them, you know, and and that part of uh, who, who I've always been. But I feel even more of a responsibility at the cons because these people are paying me to come and be a, a guest and represent their con so it's kind of up to me to really make the fan feel like wow you know i got to meet a really nice guy in the industry right because some guys weren't so nice (laughs) (laughs) yes i understand i've been on both sides of the table and and i ran into a couple of those through the uh the decades as well Tom, we're about a minute out here sure where are you going next i know you still have comic cons to finish up for the year Yeah, let me think. I think the next one I go to is in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. The big one's in New York. That's uh, the beginning of October. Mm -hmm. It's like a four-day show. I think it starts October 5th or 6th, something like that. Uh, October 6th, actually. But that's the biggest one. I mean, there's like probably 250,000 people come by. Everybody gets a chance to go to that one. Boy, that's the one to come to. You know, spend the money and get the hotel. And it's a really great uh, show. Right. there, It's a lot of fun. But, Tom, I am out of coffee, so that means we are out of time. (laughs) But I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Anytime. Right. And I'll catch up with you soon here on the road, Tom. Thank you. Okay, good. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in and joining us on our first episode here 
in the sci-fi-verse from the science fiction studios in the magic city of Birmingham. Thank you again for joining us, and we will talk soon. And until then, make sure you stay sci-fi. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 